Are you ready to get the support you need for your author career and life? Join international indie bestseller Angela J. Ford and fantasy author Stephanie Wabwa as they talk all things writing, publishing, and the real life of an indie author. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Living your best indie life starts here. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Uh, we have a great interview coming up with Jeff Kohonik, and he's another awesome fantasy author. It's funny, I just realized like we interview so many fantasy authors, but fantasy is awesome, <laughs> so we love it. But of course, there are takeaways for every genre. But yeah, Stephanie, what's new with you? Hey, Angela. So just a little bit with Jeff. I'm excited for this interview. He has so much good stuff going on with his Runes of Asalia, Asalia series. You know, I love fantasy, but I can never pronounce the names. You know what I mean? I just need everybody to have glossaries. It'll be great. <laughs> but um, I'm doing good. Writing is going very well. I'm still working on my serial with my Angelic Storm Elemental. She's really fun. I just... I'm glad that I am taking the liberties. First of all, I am glad that she is a like chaotic character. I feel like I I write very noble uh, characters, you know, characters that like are doing something for a cause, whereas she is like incredibly selfish. She's doing everything for herself. She's trying to save her own skin. She will cut down anyone she needs to to get what she desires. And she's just focused on getting her coin and like keeping her reputation as this like fearless mercenary who has all this power you know and so I'm like I'm having a lot of fun with that because it's very different from my other like no I will lay my life down for my people if I have to type of characters so I'm really enjoying that and um also working on our indie author lifestyle anthology oh, announcement. Yes. yes 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 announcement so to all our listeners the indie author lifestyle brand we are launching an anthology and it is about priests priestesses priesthoods and temples all of that fun stuff you can actually get all of this information at indieauthorlifestyle.com forward slash anthology it is called void in the temple void of the temple there we go void yeah. of the temple and it's just going to be really fun just think of like priests and magic and lore and like danger and so i'm actually going to be starting my short for that as well which is really really fun because my world has has these like super ancient, crazy, awesome, just powerful prophets and priests and all that. And so just being able to have that chance to dive into all of that backstory of like who these powerful beings are. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, they have like, like rainbow shimmery looking hair and like, you know, these like these powers that make them translucent when they speak, it sounds like rivers. And it's just, it's really, really cool. Just diving into like, the, the type of fantasy that's like over your head almost <laughs> like where you're like i'm trying to visualize what it is i'm writing here <laughs> like, so i'm having a lot of fun with that um uh, so yeah surprise announcement guys void of the temple if you want to join that just go to the, just go to that link and you'll be able to get all the information but yeah so that's what i've been up to it's just really fun and what about you angela what do you have going on 
Well, first off, I'm so excited about the anthology. I really like just kind of like stretching my creativity by trying to condense myself down to a short story. And so I've been practicing a lot um, with my adult fairy tales, uh, tales of the Enchanted Wildwood, which has been fun. I've already finished two and I'm almost done with the third uh, little short story. They're anywhere between 15 to 20,000 words. I decided to give myself some space. And in case I want to go over the 15,000 word limit, I can do that. Um, I will try not to do that for our anthology, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I'm really excited about it actually, because I have a brand new fantasy series that the first book will probably be out in 2021. So next year. And I'm really excited about that because I think this first like short story I write for the anthology will take place in that world. And I'm so excited to dig into it. So it's going to be really fun. And I'm super excited about it. And I hope you guys join. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like when at first I was like, oh, okay, I've never written specifically about priests before. But then I started digging into it and I was like, this is perfect. I can. Oh, my goodness. Everybody's answers will be like all their questions will be answered in this. It's great. So <laughs> I'm really excited about that. And I think now is a perfect time to just go ahead and segue into our interview with Jeffrey Kahanik. Before we get started talking on today's topic, here's a word about our Indie Author Lifestyle Workshops. Workshops are designed for career authors who want in-depth training on certain topics to help you take your career to the next level. Join us each month to dig into writing, publishing, and book marketing strategies for only $27.99. Plus, get access to the exclusive community. Find out our topic of the month by going to IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash workshops. Now back to our episode. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Today we have a very special guest. Jeffrey L. Kohanek. He grew up in rural Minnesota where comic books sparked his young imagination, inspiring fantasies of heroes with superpowers saving the day. His tastes later evolved to fantasy epics featuring unlikely heroes overcoming impossible odds to save worlds born from the writer's imagination. Now residing in Southern California, Jeff uses that imagination to weave tales of engaging characters caught in fantastic plots to inspire young adults and the child within us all. Jeff, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're so glad to have you. I'd love to know what made you want to become a writer and then after that an indie author. Uh, really, I'm, since you know the day I was born, I was like a creative person, right? So, and I, and I think, uh, Creative people tend to be storytellers by nature. Um, so that's what I am first and foremost. And then, you know, I had to work on the writing aspects. I was always good in English with grammar, et cetera. But, um, you know, creative writing is not quite the same as, for instance, marketing for a company, right? Which is part of what the job I was doing for the last 25 years. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, I'm actually, I love writing and it was something I had thought about doing for a long time and just put it on the back burner because I was being responsible, you know, just <laughs> earning a living. And then uh, as my kids 
grew older and more time um, started to come back into my life, I filled that in with writing and now that's, that's my love. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, it's really cool hearing that it's something that you put on the back burner and then came back to. I can't tell how many authors can relate to that because writing is not a responsible job <laughs> or anything like that. It's just something like, oh, let me do, do something real and then I'll come back to writing after that. So I'd love to know what kind of in, inspired you. You said you've always been a creative person, but what kind of inspired you to go ahead and just create your own stories? Like, was it other books? Was it playing video games? Was it something else? Uh, it's funny you mentioned video games because I've also been a lifelong gamer. Uh, but I would say, you know, I've over the period of decades, because I'm, I have some decades behind me. Uh, I read so many fantasy stories, and they would spark all these ideas, and they started to coalesce into mainly into a, like a magic system. So that was the beginning, and the the first series I wrote was planned to be a trilogy from day one. And I just started writing in secret. Didn't even tell my family for six months, right? And and it was based around the magic system. And I just kind of started building a world around it. And uh, and like I said, the plot was kind of already filled in and I just needed the right characters to, to live the story. And uh, so yeah, I'm just inspired by everything I've read. So I think it's super cool that you just said the magic system, right? Because I think, with all of the authors we've you know we've talked to thus far none have said that they began with the magic system it's always either a character or it's just like some place in their world and so i think it's really fascinating that you started with the magic system so how you know what popped in your brain with the magics and then like it developed before you could create this world like how did you build that yeah uh so my first two series um they're based on a world called Asalia. And uh, so the magic system in this world was kind of sparked by a couple different things. First, in the name of the wind, you know, the, the, the key magic system in there is the idea that everything, even the wind, has a specific secret name. And if you know it and have the ability, you can control that thing. So you can control the wind if you know what to call it, right? So also at the same time, I was reading the first book in Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives. And, you know, the, there's some glyphs and runes and stuff happening in there. And it kind of popped in my head. Well, what, what if everything, and when I say everything, I mean things like um, forces of nature or emotions had a rune and, ability, you know, people had the ability to, to channel um, just energy around them and empower that rune to make something happen. So for instance, if that rune is, uh, you know, reduce gravity, you charge it and then, you know, a log floats in the air and floats away, right? Because you've now changed how physics affect it. Uh, so that was the idea and it just kind of went crazy from there. Yeah, that's really awesome. And I have actually read the first novel in that series, which was really interesting. And I remember reading it and thinking about the magic system and the fact that um, I forget what you called it, but everyone had these symbols on their foreheads that kind of determine what class they were in. And I thought that was fascinating. Can you talk more about that and kind of where that came from? Okay, yeah. Uh, so we can 
what you're talking about is vocation runes. When yes. what ends up happening is it, um, you know these ideas they they gain momentum, and part of that was well, I wanted a caste based society to tell the story, and um, you know so there are people at the top of this pyramid and people at the bottom, and what happens is as each child is born, uh, they go through a magic ceremony that kind of deter it looks at uh, their natural abilities and assigns their job for life. Basically, you have it imprinted on your head. So guess what? If it says that you're a baker, guess what you're going to be? A baker. Because everybody lives by what they see on your head. And there are consequences for kind of painting outside the lines. Um, at the same time, the most important part of it all was some people don't receive a rune and they're unchosen. So they're treated like outcasts. They kind of don't have a role in society. So they end up being criminals or beggars just to get by. And, uh, you know, the protagonist, you've read the book, so the protagonist fits in this, in this position, right? He's an outcast. And, uh, and the whole story is him basically risking his life, you know, because you can be executed if you are caught trying to fake that you're somebody else. He gets a fake rune applied and goes off and stuff happens. I love how you mentioned that it's it is a caste system and I actually just finished reading a book. Okay, it's a very cheesy young adult fantasy novel. Okay. It's the selection yeah. by Kira Cast. It's you know, it's teenage stuff, but yeah. um, it is a caste system. And I'm realizing that I really find books like that interesting because you like you see how people are essentially segregated in different parts of life and what they're restricted to doing. You know, you're either restricted to luxury or you're restricted to poverty or somewhere in between. And and so what made you choose a caste system and how did you go ahead and like develop that? Like what was your process for, you know, creating that? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to, this is an author podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and give a major spoiler to the series. Um, and it's been around for like four years, so it's okay. Um, so the whole reason that these people are unchosen is because uh, the, the ministry, this group that rules society, they control everything. They're at the top of the pyramid, right? They, they don't. They want to keep these people um, down. They, because these people have an ability to control a kind of magic that's very dangerous and destructive, and had caused major problems in the past. So they want, they want these people. They, they didn't want to commit genocide and just kill everybody. So instead, they just let them live their lives at the bottom of society expecting that it will also help, you know, reduce how many more of these people live and how long they live, et cetera. They, so um, quite a bit of the system had to do with the fact that I needed to have this, a, a re, you know, a way to outcast them. At the same time, by controlling everything, they, they put people at the top of this pyramid and, and at the top, it's based on the potential ability to use a different kind of magic. So it's like a two-sided yin-yang kind of magic system. Um, so the people at the top have the potential to use this other one and that's what they want to promote and they want to not, not allow the, <laughs> the bad magic, um, to thrive. So that was it. 
That's really fascinating. And it makes me wonder a little bit about, well, not even a little bit, a lot about your writing process. So one of the things that me and Stephanie always joke about is that I'm the pantser. I was just like, sit down and write and she will plan and carefully plot out her story and go for it. And so you've written several series by now, I think, right? And so how do you, how do you approach them? I know this was your debut series, but but now going forward, when you're getting ready to start a new book, what what does your writing process look like for that? Okay. Uh, so in truth, I heavily outlined the first series and I've gotten away from that. So I pants more and more and my outline is a tiny skeleton. You know, it's more like plot points. Oh, I have to go here and here and here because I have an endpoint. I have no idea how to get between plot, you know, spot A, B, and C, and D. I'll figure it out with my characters, right? And uh, and honestly, now I, I write much more in my character's head and they figure out how to make it happen. But uh, yeah, so I used to be a heavy outliner and now I'm a light outliner. Um, so I'm, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, that is really cool. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that they kind of went from like heavy outlining to more of a pantser style. So do you think that's why, do you think the reason that you've changed is because now you understand your writing process more and so you don't need as much structure anymore? Or have you kind of thought that through? Yeah, I think, I definitely think that's part of it. It's like, I, I'm confident I can get there. Um, but at the same time, I found the more I wrote fiction, the more, and, and really just like through the eyes of my characters, my characters would surprise me and they would do things, sometimes really cool things or surprising things that, that made the process much more enjoyable. And, and I think made the story better. So I, I don't want to, I want more of that to happen. And the way I do that is I, I just back off on my outlining. And like I said, I have to know the beats because right, for instance, I'm writing a six book series and I know how it ends. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of plot threads that have to come together to make that happen. So I have all these key things, but in the, in the same time I have, I don't know, there's probably um, 10, 12 POVs and all these people have to have fun, interesting stories. So I just let them go to town and and I rarely nudge them in the right direction. They usually figure it out. Okay. I have as as a diabolical plotter, I just have questions. <laughs> because like my brain hears 10 different main characters and like a six book series. I've got questions. So like, how does that even happen? Right? Because I'm sitting here like. Dear God, I would need to know like what is going on. I would need to know like where they're going to be. I would, right? But like you, you let them. You allow yourself the element of surprise, which I think is is actually you know super cool. Keeps the fun element to it. But how do you actually do that? Like get your characters to hit those points so that you reach the end that you need for the story to keep going. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I would say w- when I realized that. There's, there's something specific that has to happen. Um, then I sit down and I focus like, okay, what is a logical event that, couldn't, that can change the character's direction and, and have them end up over here? What's, what makes sense? Or, or what's a really exciting thing? You know, um, for instance, I'm writing a chapter right now where 
I realized that, you know what, it is high time for betrayal, but how do you betray somebody who can control your mind? Oh, I have an idea. So I, I, it just happens, right? So I don't know. I, I guess I no, don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. It's more in the sense of like you. So it's one of those things where you cross the bridge when you get there. Number one. Number two, yeah. when you get there, it's a sense of like what would make sense here, which I think um, whether you plot or you pants, we all have to do that at some point, right? Like I, yeah. I reached a chapter and I was like, okay, it is high time for them to move from this juncture to get over here so that this story keeps going. So and then in my brain, I'm like, okay, what needs to happen or needs to occur for them to like move, skedaddle, <laughs> like move along. So I think that's actually pretty cool. But like with your world building though, because you write series, I, I presume that you don't plan to do standalones. Um, so how do you tackle your world building? Cause this, it sounds pretty expansive. Um, so yeah. how do you begin approaching it? Because your magic system itself is already pretty intricate and unique. So how do you go about doing that? Uh, so I've written in two worlds right now. Um, so my second series, the six book series I'm writing right now is, is a new world that started, I don't know, early last year, right? So there are three books released. The fourth comes out in about a month. Um, and I'll be done by, by the end of summer. They'll all be out. They'll all be out. Uh, but as far as that world goes, I thought about that world for six, 12 months before I started writing. So I'm, I was writing a different series in the meantime, like, oh, I want to write a world that is kind of like XYZ. And I started kind of thinking about it and I would sketch maps. And I always start with a map, <laughs> believe it or not. So I draw my own map before I have a pro make it really pretty. Because um, for me, location and elements of location are really important. Mm. Uh, so for instance, if you want to have a forest for elves, well, guess what? You have to have a forest somewhere. So think about where, where would that be and what makes sense from... Um, a climate perspective and, oh, is it going to be North Pole or is it Northern Hemisphere or Southern Hemisphere? And, you know, how how are the different climates across the land and, and how does that affect the story and how does that affect the cultures in the story? So I, I kind of start with a magic system and a world, like as far as world building and, and, and a map and think about the things that I want to populate the map and and just keep going and just kind of fill it in, but not too much. Because at the same time, you should be able to travel around the world and discover some things that are not yet discovered. Whether it's a hidden, you know, a lot lost dwarven city underneath a mountain or whatever it is, right? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I also do the same thing where I like to start with a map. And it's kind of funny. I was working on uh, one of my latest series. And I started writing the book and I didn't have a map and I was like going crazy. I was like, what is wrong? What is wrong? Then I was like, the map, I need the map. But it's really cool kind of like seeing it come together and just having like a vague outline of the map and then allowing the characters to go in and kind of discover things. I love that. Yeah. I think it's the discovery thing that makes pantsing really fun and also challenging because <laughs> on the one hand, it's really cool to know that this is the end of the story. And then on the other hand, it's really fun to just kind of like discover it and make these revelations as you go along. I think that's what makes writing so exciting for me is that not knowing until like I'm sitting down and having a writing session and going like, oh my gosh, and my brain is going off because it's just really fun. 
Um, so going back to your series, so you're working on a six book series and you have like, what did you say? 10 to 11 characters in there, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's probably more POVs. I mean, they kind of build as you go, right? Sort of four POVs in the first book. And then there's seven, then there's 10, then there's 13, right? So, um, and then some people die. So then it goes down again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I, I started writing a six book series and there are two main characters, which is fun, but I keep adding like different POVs in there and like removing them just depending on what location they travel to. And it's fun and stuff, but I think it would be more exciting with more characters. I don't know what it is. Like I just kind of get stuck with my characters and I'm like, well, what, what else can they do to grow and learn? So do you ever, I guess, do you ever struggle with that? Like, kind of what should my character do next, especially if they're in a long series or do you kind of have a plan for that? Uh, I have some plans sometimes. <laughs> uh, I will say this, um, for instance, there was a character in, so she came into my, my second book and I hadn't intended to give her a POV. In fact, there was a character in my first book I hadn't intended to give a POV. But as the story goes on, as you, as a writer and as a reader, I start thinking like, oh, I kind of like to know more about these characters. And the best way to know is to see it from inside their head. You know, how do they view the world and what, what are the things that influence them? So, you know, and, and these characters are still around. So I started giving them POVs and, um, but, but with reason, right? So what ended up happening is in the book where they gain the POV, they also gain access to, we'll say, objects of power. Basically, they're enchanted objects. So, um, and these objects change who they are, right? So you get, you go through this, oh, I'm learning about this character I've seen, and oh, now this thing happened, and now they're even different. Like, so now I just had a, an arc within one book for these two characters who were kind of side characters before, yeah, so I, I don't know. I it, it was just not a plan. It just happened, right? So that's my pantsing part of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I totally get that. And just kind of like giving them an arc and showing how they're different is really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, fun stuff. So with, um, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit and talk about marketing. So first off, are you a full-time author now? Or do you kind of do other stuff too? Okay, so I started writing about five years ago, and I spent all that time until this January working a full-time job and writing books. Uh, in that time, I put out, uh, I think, 11 books. So 11 novels and some short stories, right? And then, um, so in January, I left my day job, and now I'm full-time author. Uh, Congratulations. So, Fun. And, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what what do you do to market? And I guess what made you feel comfortable quitting the job and being like, okay, it's going to be fine because I have writing now? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> book books are assets. So every asset has the ability to earn some money, right? And I've been learning the marketing stuff because, um, I mean, while I have some marketing background as well, I have engineering background and marketing complicated anyway um book marketing is different 
right? It's unique, right? It, in the end, you have to really understand um, Facebook advertising, Amazon advertising, one or the other or both. And then, you know, all these other things like building um, newsletter subscribers and having social media presence. Uh, so I kind of learned that stuff over time and kind of just basically got enough confidence where I knew my 12th book was coming out. And I thought, okay, I, I think I have enough assets yeah, that I can market and kind of like have, even on down months, have enough income to get by. And then up months, have enough income to save up to cover the down months. Right? So you guys understand how book releases go. You know, there's there's this thing that happens all the time. Um, and then I find, at least in my genre, which you guys both write fantasy, boxes have a curve that's, you know, five times higher than the other curves. Um, and that and that means that it stretches longer too. So I've got this thing going. Uh, so uh, I knew I had a box release, which it just happened two weeks ago, right? So I had a box release coming. I'm like, okay, if I do that, May will be really good. June will be really good. And then by then I'll have more books and then I'll do another box. And yeah, so it's it's kind of rolling the dice um, because yeah, you, you're, you're now, I used to play the safe role. I was an engineer coming out of college. Like there's nothing safer than being an engineer. You're basically guaranteed like, here's your check, here's your check, here's your check. And I got, became more and more risk, a risk taking person over time. And now I'm like entrepreneur writer guy, right? So. Yeah, yeah, and that's really cool um, because we had a really cool marketing conversation with JT Williams um, yeah, in an earlier too. episode. Yeah, 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 so it's just really, really interesting kind of like looking at it and realizing that I think one of the hardest things for me to learn is that book income is always changing. It is never the same thing every single month. And so it's hard to pin it down. But like you said, with the box that releases, you can kind of count on that to kind of spike up and take you for a ride and cover you when you have the lower months. And so it's just all a matter of keep writing and releasing and repeating that. But um, as for ads, do you tend to do more Facebook ads or Amazon ads or a little bit of both? Okay, I spent a frightening amount of money on Amazon ads last year, <laughs> but uh, because I had a full-time day job that would pay the bills, I could afford to test a lot of things. So I learned a lot during during that time, and that helped a lot, uh, ton. Um, I'm trying to be more mindful now, unless I have a reason to just really drive rank, which is actually what I'm doing right now with my box set. Um, just, just trying because I. I release um, all my boxes and all my books in Kindle Unlimited. It's a different mindset than when you're wide, right? So in the end, I have to trick the algorithm into showing my book to all those people that are KU subscribers. That's what I'm doing right now with, you know, a big push of spend money and paid promos, et cetera. Um, I will also say I spent almost, I spent very little on Facebook last year, but I'm back in on Facebook now. Um, and doing better. So I had spent money early on and then I wasn't seeing a lot of traction. Um, I think that I've mastered it much better than I had before. And for the first time ever, I started spending money on gathering newsletter subscribers through Facebook ads before I was just doing like book funnel and swaps and all those kind of things. Right. 
Yeah, that's really cool, especially that you're doing the the lead generation. So are you, yeah. it might be too early to tell, but are you finding that the Facebook, the leads that come from Facebook ads are more quality leads than from BookFunnel and those other promos? Or have you been able to test that out yet? Judging by my, so I created an, like an automation, um, what do they call it? Automation for when they're coming into your... <laughs> yeah, your, welcome funnel, uh, welcome series. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, looking at the behavior in the automation funnel, uh, it I would say that they're higher quality subscribers in general than the ones I was getting through, you know, story origin and book funnel giveaways, right? Um, and definitely better than other types of giveaways. You know, sometimes we authors we join things where we're like, oh hey, we're going to give away a signed copy of a Sarah J. Moss book. Here you go. Well, you get all these people and. They don't ever they don't ever buy any of your books they just take your newsletter and and it doesn't go anywhere um i find that those work the the worst for me uh the ones that work the best are people that show like they show they have interest in me as an author not in other authors yeah. and when it comes to you know getting all of these leads right so you know now um especially you've been in the game a while like which leads are more quality for you so now when yeah. they come in how do you foster engagement and continue to build your audience right because if they're not engaging they won't keep buying they won't stick around so how do you continue to build that um and maintain you know that yeah. engagement with your audience especially with your subscribers not just like on social but your subscribers yeah, I know. It's it's a big challenge that we authors face, right? How do we keep these people? What do we do? What's too much? What's too little? <laughs> um, I, uh, I send out a newsletter every other week. Uh, but before they get that newsletter, I give them multiple free novellas. Uh, so right now I have a total of four novellas. Um, so one from One World and Oh wait, I have five because <laughs> they're about to get another one and four from another world four four from my newest series. So uh, for instance, through this Facebook lead generation, I give away one at the beginning, sign up and you get a novella or a free audio book. Cause I, I paid for an audio recording of that book as well. And it's, it's not a short one. It's like 18,000 words. So it's long enough where um, they, it's almost two hours of audio. So they get, a sample with whether they're a listener or a reader. And then, um, then, you know, a few days later, I say, here's another book, um, same world, different character. It's a fun story. Here you go. Oh, and then a couple days later, I'm like, Oh, Hey, by the way, here's a sample of the first book in the series and where you can find it if you're interested. And then when they get the first newsletter from me, they have more books that they can get for free, right? Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Check it out. Oh, by the way, I'm running a promo right now. If you want, this book is free or this book is 99 cents. Um, so I, I try to always give them something. But at the same time, at the beginning of every newsletter, I, I try to be like, uh, hi, it's me. Um, I'm writing and I'm surviving and I'm walking my dogs and <laughs> we're all having fun. And hey, here's a picture of my goofy Frenchie and dressed up as a rabbit or whatever it is, right? So uh, I want to be genuine, but give them stuff. So I'm trying to like balance those two things. I don't know, you know, it's all, all I can do. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And are you finding that free and 99 cents is working for you? Because I know that's an ongoing debate right now. Like, do we do we keep our stuff free? Do we 
<laughs> do we keep it cheaper with 99 cents? Do we say, listen, I know this is worth 2.99 or more. So this is the price, you know, go ahead and buy it. Like, do you find that giving away? Cause you're giving like five stories free. You know what I mean? Where others would be like, you're For not sure. one story free. So <laughs> does that work for you? Or do you think that it, you know, it makes it, it conditions your audience to expect free or cheap from you and then they won't buy. Yeah. Well, the stories I give away because they're kind of like these short, fun side stories, right? You, you get a glimpse of a character, but you don't get the full breadth of a character or same thing with a story. You don't get like an epic sprawling six book story. <laughs> you just get like this short, Oh, Hey, this stuff happened. Oh no, is a tragic ending or Hey, look, he recovered the amulet and saved the day, whatever it is. Right. Um, so the ones that give away are more like, Hey, I wrote these things for you guys because I want you to have more of the characters I think you'll love in my books. Okay. Um, at the same time, I, it's pretty rare. I give away my, my main novels for free. Uh, I'd say about once a year, I'll pick one, a, a book one in a series and say, Hey, here it's free. And you know, you get 6,000 people downloading it, or whatever. And you hope that some of these people go on to, to buy other books. Um, 99 cents, I think, is better because at least people are like, well, you know, it's a good deal. I paid for it. I should read it because you know, how many free books do you guys have on your Kindle that you have never read? Precisely. I, like, 200. Precisely. <laughs> so many. But then, yeah. But then again, I'm I'm not a whale reader. I mean, I've always been a big reader, but not like the people that are whale readers, right? The, pe the people that are reading a, a book a week or a book a day, like they, they want more content, right? And they'll read that stuff. And if they like it, they'll buy the main series or if they're in Kindle Limited, they'll just keep reading, they'll keep going, right? It's more, so, I mean, I, I have to think that that's gonna work with those people and the people who read a book a year, they're probably not gonna read my books anyway. They're probably gonna read Stephen King and Brandon Sanderson and, you know, the big authors. I, I can only target the people that are willing to listen to me, I guess. You know, that's so true. And like, I, I feel like me and my husband are really good examples of like how different readers are because he'll read if I buy him a fantasy book and I'll put it on his bedside table, he'll read it, it'll happen. Um, but it has to be a hardcover that he has. And like, I give him say like, oh, here you go. And so he's reading the Witcher series now because that's the game that he plays and he's really interested in it. And so he's going to be the kind of person that probably always reads like big, epic, traditionally published books. And then I'm over here in Kindle Unlimited, freaking out about all the books and like starting everything, downloading <laughs> everything, being angry because you can only download 10 books at a time from Kindle Unlimited before you have to return them. So then I want 99 cent books because I want to buy them. So it's, it's just completely different. Just the, <laughs> the way we operate as readers, even though we both love reading. It's really interesting. But like you said, you would be more after the readers like me who are going to sit there and just like binge read these books and then move on. Because yeah, Kindle Unlimited, I didn't realize how awesome it was until I joined. And I was like, this is great. I can just read anything and I can binge <laughs> read all these books and some of them also come with audio. So, you know, back in the day when I used to go to the gym, it was great to go to the gym and listen to an audio book. But I think that's this really cool that you're focusing 
on that reader engagement and making sure you're catering to those people that would be the better match for you and your books. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I want to go back a bit to your stories because you do write intricate worlds. I'm always fascinated with the craft side. I mean, I should be just as fun, fascinated with like the marketing because hello, money, right? But um, <laughs> I'm always fascinated with the craft side. And I wanted to know, so do you have um, a process for researching when you're doing it, um, your worlds or anything? Or like, do you just literally make everything up? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that I rely a lot on the hundreds and hundreds of fantasy books that I've read over the years, right? Because they, they kind of like build a certain set of expectations. You know, everybody knows in, you know, you go to, let's say it's a medieval kind of setting. You go into a village and, or a town or whatever, and you go to an inn. That's where you're going to eat. That's where you're going to sleep. You're going to, you know, drink some ale or whatever. There might be a fight. You know, somebody might steal a purse. Right, all these things people just can imagine because they've been through it in so many books. Um, at the same time, I travel a lot, so I've been a lot of places, and I use places that I've been to things like uh, Dubrov Dubrovnik, Croatia, or um, the the Amazon jungles in Brazil, or Cator Montenegro, or Venice, or you know um, the the cliffs on the Napoli coast on uh, Kauai, right? So, cause I've hiked those cliffs and I travel and I hike and I see stuff. So all these things give me experiences and I write about them. Uh, I mean, it could be something as simple as these people are chopping through a jungle and all of a sudden they jump backwards because there's just a massive spider and it's frightening. Right. But I just take that massive spider because it happened to me, right? <laughs> it was in front of my face and it's like this on a web across the trail. And I just made that thing times 10. And, you know, these, these hardened soldiers are like, holy crap, <laughs> you know? And, and you know, it, it's just a fun moment. It's brief, right? And then they keep going. But at the same time, they had some realism. So I, I don't know. That's what I do. And sometimes I do research. Like, on I've sailed. Like, I know I, I used to own a sailboat. Um, so I know a lot about sailing. That comes all the time. But I didn't sail these massive uh, ships with a quarter deck on the back and a forecastle on the front and three masts. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, okay, what is that sail called? Oh, top gallant sail. Okay. And what's this? Okay. So I can use terms. I do some research on terms when I come to that point in the story. And then I just keep going. Yeah, okay. no, that's really awesome because I'm always, I always wonder about like, for authors who write such intricate worlds like they use in the Angelas and like even like Andy Pelican, right? Like he, he yeah. researched, <laughs> yeah. he does research and interviews and stuff. So I always find it fascinating. Like how are we crafting these worlds? Because like, I know for me, I have an intricate world and I, <laughs> my level of research was not that far, honestly. Like I thought, I mean, like I looked up, so I looked up stuff like the Big Bang Theory and all that, but like outside of that, everything kind of just like came out, you know, came out of my brain from things that I'd read before and I just like slopped everything together. So I just, I'm always fascinated. So that's pretty cool that you're kind of like that too, where you're just like, well, I have all of this, all of this stuff in my brain from so many stories and so many worlds that I've consumed before that it'll just come out in my own way. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. 
Yeah, same here. I am not a big researcher, never will be. I just think it's just really fun as writers to just stretch our minds by using our creativity and the places we've been and even the people we see and meet in conversations and just really being able to like step outside of ourselves and hop into the mindset of someone else and their journey and their discoveries and the magic. I think the magic is just something that gets me every time. And the magical objects, those are really fun. But yeah, this is this is a great discussion. Um, I know we're coming up on time, but before we head off, is there anything else that, Stephanie, can you think of anything else that we need to ask? Yeah, I would just say um, a lot of our listeners, I mean, we do have, you know, some steady career folk, but a lot of them are either like newbie um, indies or like they're just really trying to figure it out or get off the ground. So like what would be your advice as far as like your own career and um, your experiences? What would be your advice to indie authors? Like what would you leave with them? Oh, wow. There's so many aspects to that. Um, I would say for sure. no matter what, you have to have an editor, okay? So you put a book out, um, regardless of if you have money or not, don't put it out until it's, somebody <laughs> looked it over. In fact, tell you what, I pay for an editor who goes through it three times, and then I pay for a proofer, and then I have four more proofers who do it for free. Then I have an art team of like 60 people who'd let me know if anything slipped through the cracks, right? Because, you know, those typos, people notice them. And and, and yeah. if they read your book and they don't perceive it as it could be trad published, mm-hmm. that is going to impact your career. Like, they won't buy the next book. So if you, you can't make money off of one book, you have to have them buy the next book. So have it be sharp and and it, it's worth it for sure. And then, and then lastly, um, don't. If you have one book out, don't send, don't spend too much money on it because in the end, it's really hard to break even marketing a book. Um, usually you go negative on the first book and then you make monies on, money on book two and three and four and five or the box set, right? So think about the long game. If you have a book, just put it out there or, or hold back until you have three and then go to town. Yeah, that's great advice and definitely something for newbies to listen to. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing with us. This was a lot of fun and great conversation. And we'll see you online. Okay. Yeah, thanks for having me. The journey to becoming a full-time author on your own terms doesn't have to be lonely or hard. We have an awesome community where we chat daily, write together, and motivate each other. To be part of this vibrant community of indie authors living their best bookish life on their own terms, go to IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash inner circle for more information. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to hear more from you. Leaving a rating or review helps us to create more great content like this. Be sure to rate this episode and subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. See you inside the community.